Hello and welcome to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me, the founder and director of Liminal, Louise Fitzjohn. This podcast is an opportunity to speak with the contemporary artists I'm exhibiting in my Margate-based art gallery. With an exciting programme of solo and group exhibitions, hosting this podcast is a fantastic way to delve deeper into the artist's practice and to probe their innermost thoughts about their exhibitions. Liminal Gallery was founded in April 2021 and works with contemporary artists currently practising in the UK and Ireland, showing the incredibly diverse creatives that are based here. I have been working in the art world for over a decade and I'm incredibly passionate about fully supporting the artists that I work with and I spend most of my time trawling through social media to find artworks which blow my socks off. The artists I work with have an approach which I haven't seen before, a unique talent which spans across the mediums. I'm so excited to share these artists with you as we have in-depth conversations exploring the artists' lives and works into what makes them tick and what gets a ticking off. So I hope you'll join me both on this podcast and down in Margate, where you can see the exhibitions of these artists in person. I'm delighted to share that the second guest on the Liminal Gallery podcast is with contemporary artist Catherine Lett, who will be exhibiting a painting in the four-person exhibition Matricense, which opens at Liminal Gallery on the 5th of November. The term Matricense is the physical, emotional, psychological, hormonal and social transition to becoming a mother. What first drew me to Lett's work was this visual representation of Matricense and the onslaught of our contemporary lives. With flailing limbs rhythmically working on multiple household chores without forgetting to pet the dog, her works have a brilliant sense of humour while also putting the strain of the life of the mother into a visual language. The works transform the banality and absurdity of everyday life into a singular image, mixing irony and humour with the underlying question about social anxiety. The bodies in her works become fluid, bending and melding to their requirements, while simultaneously banging their head against the wall or serving it up on a plate. The works question the impact of contemporary life on our bodies and minds, and I think are incredibly poignant, important storytelling of the shortcomings and extreme lengths we go to achieving our multiple identities. Catherine Lett gained a BA in Fine Art from Central St. Martins. She also participated in Terp's off-site painting programme, graduating this year in 2022. She was shortlisted for the Hari Art Prize in 2022, featured in Business Traveller UK magazine, shortlisted for the Jackson's Painting Prize in 2021 and published in Art Maze Mag. Her work is held in private collections in the UK and internationally. Catherine Lett, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Pleasure. Um, So when we were at your studio, we spoke about repeating factors in your work, such as the frying pans, graters, or multiple feet. Do you chance upon these objects like serendipity, or do you intentionally use this symbology? I think it's a little bit of both, actually. My work changed quite a lot during lockdown, 
um, which was when I became really interested in the domestic space. I think you kind of had to be because otherwise life was going to be very drastic, which of course it was for many. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I became more and more interested in what it was to be contained in this space and to be contained with your family. And because you know, you become interested in something, you immediately as an artist of think, how would I represent that? How would I make work about that? Um, and so I started to sort of think about what type of objects would be interesting, would, would in some way represent the sorts of things that I was thinking about. And for example, at the time then, one of the things that I was really looking at was the armchair, because the armchair is like this, cozy warm enveloping space but then it can also be a kind of place that's really hard to get out of and kind of suck you in um and I think I was thinking a lot about this sense of containment in lockdown as being a space of safety for some people um and also a space of risk for others because I think in many ways it had this sort of duality to it um, so yeah, sometimes I really kind of think, right, what objects would reference what I'm thinking about? But then at other times, um, I'm always sketching and, and sort of just putting little ideas down. And other times an idea will just pop into one of those sketches. So something like the frying pans, I think I was just sketching a figure and I sort of saw a frying pan on the side and I sketched that too. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. The minute I sort of saw it, I thought there's something interesting in that. Um, I originally come from Cornwall and I always love this painting that hangs in the Tates and Dives by Roger Hilton. Um, and there's this brilliant painting by him called Oyoyoy, which the story behind it is that it's his wife Ray Rose chasing him with a frying pan. <laughs> and it's this amazing painting of this kind of... Uh, need woman like charging through the canvas holding this Amazing. frying pan um so yeah I think that kind of sits in the you know all of these references just sit in the back of your mind so when you kind of put something down like a frying pan you suddenly remember that oi 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 and then you remember the sort of language around it things like from the frying pan into the fire and so then I think once I sort of make something by chance and then re-look at it and think about all these other little things that filter around it, it makes you then want to sort of make more of that and, and perhaps expand on that um, kind of symbology, I suppose. Mm. Um, and yeah, other, th other things will just come by chance, things like the sort of multiple legs. I think Sometimes you can be making work and, you know, you might paint a leg and then you think, no, no, that one doesn't work. I'll just, you know, I'll do another one on top. And then you think, oh, I really like two <laughs> rather than one. And, and that will just sort of uh, happen. Um, and yeah, so it's a, it's a sort of amalgamation of all these things, I think, sort of thinking about how work is read, trying to sort of think about the things that you're curious in, but also letting yourself experiment and then seeing seeing what happens with that yeah I love your extra limbs they're quite um subtle you know you don't really notice them because these there's so much movement in your works 
you know the the extra leg it doesn't really seem out of place it just it sits quite well you just really don't notice it in fact there was one painting that you actually pointed it out to me and I yeah hadn't noticed it at all yeah it's so funny how I think you can put things in paintings that are just completely bizarre Mm. and and yet they can be kind of read as believable it's like how people look at things like sort of Michelangelo paintings and they kind of go oh they're so realistic it's like well actually they're so unrealistic Mm. those bodies could you know if you made a real body that was a Michelangelo body it would be toppling all over the place (laughs) it's like you know those are not real things those proportions are completely distorted yeah but we look at it in a different way so yeah it's quite fun to do that in painting as well and play with that idea um, so I've, I've also find your process really fascinating. You draw almost daily at the kitchen table and you combine this with photography, collage and finally settling on a painting. So how does this inform your practice? Well, I have quite a maximalist rather than a minimalist approach to work. Um, well, not just to work, I think, to life in general. I'm a bit like more the merrier. So, um, so yeah, if you ask me, for example, what my artistic influences are, I can't kind of go, oh, I've got two artists. It's like a list of 30 later and someone's going, yeah, you can't just give me a whole book of the history of art. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think it allows me to sort of satisfy that side of myself. They're doing things in drawing and painting and collage and, I mean, funny enough, actually, I don't know if I mentioned, but I graduated in sculpture at CSM. So it's a bit of a, yeah, so so it's a bit of everything, although I'm not actually making things in 3D at the moment. So um, so yeah, that that bit at the moment is parked. But um but I think it also really allows me to just keep working all the time which is what I love but also keeping on being a mum and juggling the rest of life so Mm -hmm. the fact that I can accept that work is drawing at the kitchen table that it's drawing sitting on a bus on the tube in a waiting room I can you know make little bits of work whilst the kids are doing their homework um you know, I really enjoy that aspect and the different sides of that work. And I kind of now see it as it's all part of my work. It's not that the sort of the large paintings that finally get hung on walls are the only work. All of these other bits feed into it. And I sort of see it all as as one piece of work in a sense. Mm. And do um, do you find it quite hard to get into the zone, you know, like you're snatching little moments here and there where you can to draw do you have like you know a routine or something to kind of get yourself into the moment yeah I don't always find it easy I think Mm. I always have ideas and there's always stuff that's buzzing around and that's another reason which is great to sort of do or for me to produce it in different kind of ways is because not everything works in a painting you know you can have an idea and you make a sketch and the sketch can be great and then you try and paint it and you think I just can't that is not going to work as a painting or you know the same a a kind of collage might not work as a painting or a painting might not work as a draw you know this sort of you have so many ideas and you want to get them down in some ways 
and they don't all either work as paintings or you don't have the time to produce them all as sort of as kind of necessarily more finished pieces um, but in terms of getting into the zone I think I'm a big believer in doing and rather than sort of worrying <laughs> um, about the doing it but well I guess what I mean is I think doing helps doing I mean I can have awful days in the studio where I've been you know painting away for eight hours and it's absolutely rubbish and I can get completely furious and sort of throw stuff at the canvas and trash it completely but I also think that always gets you somewhere and sort of I kind of always know that if I'm feeling a bit stuck or something and I'm kind of in that zone where I don't know how to to get something in my head out onto a page or whatever I know that doing something is better than not so you just you know you just get your pen or your piece of charcoal or your brush or whatever and and just do something and something will appear and then react to the something that appears or walk away and walk the dog (laughs) (laughs) a good option (laughs) absolutely (laughs) um so when I came to see your studio um it is incredibly well organized and I've really enjoyed looking through your sketchbooks which are all kept in dated order which I've thoroughly respect I love an organized person um and you spoke about how personal the sketchbooks are um and you would never consider selling them and I wondered whether you could tell me more about that statement and why you feel that way I love the fact you say you love an organized person because now I'm really paranoid to tell you that that's just a front no (laughs) I wasn't organized at all (laughs) <laughs> I came across like you're incredibly organized <laughs> I know I'm just thinking if you'd literally come in a day earlier you would have had sort of tape and paint palettes <laughs> sticking to your feet as you tried to get through the door but I think that's also um that's just you know you gave me a great excuse to tidy up Excellent. but also actually um I think when I'm working things are get really messy I'm not a sort of super tidy painter I'm kind of have palettes everywhere and stuff everywhere but I'm definitely one of those sort of organized chaos people in that I think you're right I I know where everything is and definitely things like sketchbooks yes I definitely do keep them in date order and they are really special to me. Um, I think I started putting them in kind of date order when I started to realize that they were like my own history of my practice and sort of, and I suppose I realized they were really as close to a diary as it gets to me because I do carry one everywhere with me. I do sketch almost daily and um, they have sort of things in them that you don't really realize at the time are like little stories of your life as it goes on. And like, if I picked one up from, I don't know, a couple of years ago or so, it will be filled with say eyes because I was really obsessed with eyes looking out at you and what it meant to have an eye looking out at you from the page and sort of the difference between a cartoon eye and a real eye. And I have, loads of these sketches of eyes and at the time I thought I'll never stop making work about eyes and of course now 
I don't even, I noticed for the first time I made a painting, I don't think there's an eye in it at all. And I was like, wow, that's such a departure when I was, and so that kind of time of sketchbooks holds that section of eyes. And it's also something you might go back to, Mm. you know, often work is kind of cyclical. So it's really nice to look back through, just like you look back through a diary from time to time and you laugh at the stuff that, you know, used to do, or you feel sentimental for the stuff that happened. Um, But the other thing is, I think there's two other reasons they feel really sort of close to me. I think one is that they're always your most immediate thoughts. So whenever you have an idea or thought and you make a sort of first sketch, that is like the most immediate version of that thought. And even if that sketch becomes a sort of larger painting that might be considered to be more valuable or or sort of a grander you know more thought through version of that thought the sketch is the really immediate one it's the kind of essence of it in a way so in that way I think I love those sort of thoughts and the other thing that they also contain is these really sort of personal little intimate moments in my life which don't tend to get seen elsewhere like things like I sketch a lot from life so my kids doing their homework as I said I spend a lot of time with kids doing (laughs) homework um but or family around the kitchen table or times when we're on holidays and things and um those will be sort of sketches from life and they won't necessarily ever sit in in kind of larger works but they're quite special moments to me so yeah Uh, I really like what you said about them being that kind of pure moment before you've thought about how you're gonna create it in painting they're like the loose versions before you think about how you're actually going to realize because once you have made a sketch and you think well how is this going to be received you kind of start to have all of those other thoughts about how you're going to enact it but then how other people are going to respond to it and like you know your sketchbook is almost the pure version of your work yeah exactly I think that's the thing when you the minute you uh start to say prepare a canvas and and you know make a painting about something exactly as you say you're immediately aware of this sort of performance that you're doing of you know that you are making a painting that fingers crossed maybe it will be hanging in someone else's house at some point or in some gallery or something so it, it sort of becomes this kind of weight and as much as I think you try to get rid of all those ideas they do sit there behind all the brushstrokes and things whereas when you make a sketch you're never thinking about that you're never Mm. sort of you know there's not even the hint of that sort of subconscious kind of this needs to work or this needs to uh, you know this will be seen you know it's just the immediate idea Mm. and there's something always lovely in that yeah absolutely it's why I called liminal gallery liminal because uh, liminal means in the art sense it means that it's the moment of creativity that pure moment where you have an idea and it's before you enact it before outside opinions start to creep in before your ego starts to creep in it's just that 
pure moment of uh, of inspiration of creativity and I just love that so much you know that's why I had to call the gallery liminal because I think there's something so beautiful and poetic about it and uh, you know it's the same with your sketchbooks that's that's your there you're like immediate pure moment of creativity before you have to explain yourself on a podcast (laughs) 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 Um, so you said on Instagram that your works are not a self-portrait but they're all a self-portrait at the same time you also use yourself as a model I was wondering if you could explain this element of your work do you know, it's funny because when I said that, I well, talking about thinking of thinking of things and thinking of the background, I literally mm-hmm. typed that and sort of thought, oh, this is going to come back and bite me. So. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, actually, I quite like that idea. I like the idea of bitey words. I'm going to, okay, we've got to remind me, remind me. I'm now like reaching for my sketchbook. I'm like, no, I don't have a sketchbook in front of me. I've got a pen okay, and paper. I'm going to write it. Okay. <laughs> Need to do something about bitey words. But anyway, parking that. Um, yeah. So self-portrait, not self-portrait. Actually, I think in a strange way that every artist who is working in some way with a portrait um, or with the sort of figure in some kind of portrait form, I think is making a self-portrait. So um, I was really lucky actually recently, as I think I told you to go to Venice um, and see the Biennale and that was absolutely amazing. Um, and there were a couple of large shows outside of the Biennale because there's so much going on around it. Um, who were artists who sort of deal in portraiture effectively, or they bigger than portraiture I suppose but um uh one was Claire Tabaret and one was Marlena Duma and it's really interesting looking around those shows because whilst the paintings are kind of portraits and then they're about loads of other things as well they're also so much a portrait of that artist and um I think both of of who they are as an artist but also literally of themselves I mean unless I copied a Claire Tabaret face I would never draw paint a face in the way that she does and funny enough I don't I hope this isn't in any way (laughs) insulting her but if you actually look at her image as an artist you can kind of see in the way that she makes the faces that she does that her portrait her self-portrait is hidden within those and to me that would make total sense because I think you know, our own face and our own figure are the ones that we know best. They're the, the figure and faces that we see every day, all the time. So in that way, I think your self-portrait is always sort of there within the work. Um, in another way, they're kind of a self-portrait because I'm using myself as a model quite often. But that's where it's very much not a portrait because I don't... I don't want people to look at the work and if they're seeing work that I where I've used my myself as a model I don't want them to see that as me trying to create a portrait of myself but rather to see it as using myself as a model so the reason I tend to do that is because I just can't find the you know if I had uh the uh, 
a lovely model to model for me that would be brilliant and I would stop contorting myself on the <laughs> kitchen floor <laughs> my own work and I would happily tell someone else to kind of try and put their foot over their head and find that they can't actually um, <laughs> or maybe they can and I can't I don't know but, um, but the point is yeah what happens is I have these ideas that I think of and I make a sketch and then I have got to this place where I kind of need to have a bit more information than I've put in that sketch to make a painting from. So I then create it into a collage because it's like making that idea into a sort of photographic reality for myself to okay. then paint from. Um, I think I make it much harder for myself than I probably need to. But basically to kind of try and realise this idea as if it were real, um, I create these collages and I often use myself because I can't find the images either online or in real life that I can sort of, you know, work from effectively. And it often really surprises me. I think I might have mentioned to you the spaghetti hair conundrum. You did. I call it the spaghetti <laughs> hair conundrum. But, um, but yeah, it was when I'd, I painted something with kind of very thick textured hair and someone said, oh, the hair looks a bit like spaghetti. And I really liked that idea. So I thought, oh, well, you know, I'll look up. Someone will be eating their hair like spaghetti on a photo online. So I'll just see how that sort of works mm. as you do. And uh, when I looked up and, you know, I could find the odd kind of cartoon, but I couldn't find any image of anyone eating that, you know, I challenge anyone to check this out <laughs> and find me lots of spaghetti hair images. Anyway, I couldn't find any online. That's and wild. So then I kind of, You'd think that everything is, weird, is online. You know, you had a truly unique thought. Uh, well maybe I don't know which I think is very unlikely but may you know who knows but anyway that led to therefore me spending a morning poking forks into my hair and trying to eat it like spaghetti <laughs> which in case you're thinking of doing it is a lot harder than you'd expect and maybe that's actually why you can't find it online because hair is a bit more slippery than spaghetti yeah of course but of course maybe they need <laughs> yeah. to put a product in also I, I feel like my hair would well, be you've particularly got, good amazing hair for using as spaghetti I've got quite long your hair, hair so would be incredible it would so, be great yeah, yeah. well you know you find me creeping along with a fork <laughs> in my hair <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to wear a wig? Well, no, because this is the problem. Yeah, I used to have lovely long hair and now I've chopped it off. But um, but I kind of, that's the other thing that I do with these collages is often I sort of am contorting my own body to do whatever I need it to do. But then I'm finding, unsurprisingly, it won't do whatever I need it to. So I'm sort of taking photos of myself and then chopping them up and then adding to them elongating them and so these collages have sort of become this kind of extra separate practice I think on the side in a in a strange way to the painting um but yeah so when for example I'm doing the spaghetti hair I've kind of just taken various images of my hair and then lengthened it by you know chopping them up adding them on etc so yeah it becomes a bit yeah it's a bit convoluted but anyway it keeps me busy <laughs> with the collages do you do them in a sketchbook 
No, so those I tend to do on um, on sort of loose paper, uh, often because I don't know, I don't want to. Strangely enough, actually, you've, I've never thought about this, but when I paint, I really don't like painting off the stretcher. I really respond to the edges of a stretch canvas, and I've tried painting off a stretcher, and I really just don't like it. It might be because um, my studio space, it's quite hard to make things unstretched I don't necessarily have enough wall space or enough wall space but yeah I really struggle without having those sort of edges and the same with drawing and yet funny enough I've I've literally never thought of this till now with collage possibly because you're working with things that are already cut and just sort of moving them together and moving them around I don't like to have the edge right. because I want to allow it to expand to whatever it needs to expand to. So I actually get, often I get quite a large piece of paper, like a sort of, I don't know, A1 piece of paper for what will be quite a small collage. It will be, let's say, A3, A4 sort of thing on a much large piece because I want it to allow itself to be wherever it wants to be you know and I often do those at the sort of kitchen tables so yeah that is interesting it's almost like it doesn't the other works need a frame so you can decide you know on placement but then your collages need the space they you're not worried about where where in the page it's going to end up because it doesn't matter yeah and it's strange because I've actually never thought about that till now so (laughs) very helpful this podcast for You're welcome working through ideas <laughs> yeah, excellent <laughs> um so the exhibition that we are uh, going to be putting on in november is called Metrosense, and so i just wanted to talk to you a bit about the experience of being an artist mother so my first question statement then question is I feel like your work gives a visual to the life of a mother especially your uh, recent works they explain the the invisible jobs that we do the duties the constant running to-do lists that are in your mind and you make them visible and put them in front of us and the demandness can be physically and mentally um, hard to put into words I just wondered whether you felt the same Definitely. <laughs> so pretty much that's it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I definitely, definitely do feel that life as a mother is always like that. And um, I definitely feel that I couldn't make the work I'm making at the moment if I wasn't a mother and it very much feeds into it. But also I suppose that the, the sort of, questioning the figure in reference to daily life and to contemporary life I don't think it is exclusively motherhood that I'm always sort of looking at in the sense that I think we are really kind of bombarded by life at the moment and that's not just motherhood that is just the way we are so connected, we're so switched on all the time, everything's, you know, faster, harder, brighter, quicker, sort of, and I think, so I think the sort of strains and stresses of life exist on almost everyone at the moment, but the way that 
I'm kind of taking on those strains and stresses right now is through motherhood and it is always a challenge um and you know sometimes it's a struggle sometimes it's an absolute joy but it's you know it is this quite crazy juggling of of life and I think I'm sort of yeah experiencing that and then letting that go back into the work because also the work is this therapeutic place that you can put your angst back into and and sort of yeah put your ideas down and then let them go I suppose yeah Yeah, I've always found it really difficult to talk about uh the the struggles that we do face as mothers because you know like we're happy we're happy we've got kids you know they're healthy we're healthy but it is just constant and that like pressure is just like I said it's just so hard so difficult to put into words and I found that it was really refreshing seeing your work and seeing that just as a visual but also with so much humor as well that's the thing that I love about your works is because you know they are kind of a bit odd they're a bit surreal they've got the multiple limbs you've got you know people serving their heads on a plate and um you know and and it is it's just like all of the emotions all kind of bundled up and put into one canvas yeah I think I mean I think it is really hard to talk about it sometimes I think because Often when you talk about it, it feels like people think you're moaning or, you know, and and sort of, and you're kind of, well, I know that I'm really lucky, you know, I know that I love motherhood. I know that this is this choice that I made and, you know, and for loads of reasons, I mean, not everyone does, but, you know, for myself, I know that there's, I would never turn that clock back. But also, as you say, it's really hard and it's really stressful and I, you know, it's really lovely hearing you say that. It's lovely for me to hear that it putting these images out there, um, you know, creates some meaning for someone else other than myself. And it's also, I think more and more I'm kind of hearing other people actually feeling it's okay to say that these things are a challenge and you know it feels like when I first had my kids and maybe I was just in that very kind of intense time of just having had a baby but it felt like I only ever heard people sort of saying oh isn't it wonderful isn't it great and you know inside on the outside you're going yeah it's wonderful and inside you're just going ah (laughs) (laughs) someone let me out of here you know um and I think yeah but now I feel like I hear much more people saying it is wonderful but it's also really tough and I don't know if they were always saying that and I wasn't hearing it or I don't know if it's coming out more now but I think the more mums who stand up and go there's great sides and there's really hard sides and Mm. we should all support each other the better it is you know it's like yeah all the kind of pretending it's all perfect is just doesn't help anyone really no no it totally doesn't especially like in the early days you've got your crazy hormones but then also you've got this tiny little thing that you have no idea how to look after and 
and you've still got to cook and clean and just to keep yourself clean and keep the baby clean and it's just it is never ending um and yeah you just truly have no idea what you're doing I'm very lucky that I found some really great honest mums around in Margate that I uh just don't think that I could have got through those especially those early days without them and even now you know like I think that you have to like build your community and I think that's really important when you're a first first time mum I mean well just when you're a mum like building a community of people that you can be honest with but it is good for people to be honest and I think that the term matrosense is it kind of sums up that feeling of of motherhood it's just the love the overwhelming incredible emotions that you feel but also how hard and challenging it is in every aspect like from social and physicals your whole body changes the emotional just every single side of it like once I found that term out it brought me a lot of comfort there was just something really nice about learning that it's not all Instagram worthy photographs. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's interesting. I hadn't heard that term before. Mm. Um, You mentioned it and I think it's such a lovely word. I think you're absolutely right. It's not just mother, it's becoming. And this concept of becoming Mm. is such a different thing to just, you know, the label, the sort of, you know, you're right. It kind of, it encapsulates all these different things and so yeah I think it's really it's really wonderful that and you're so right that having having other mothers that you can trust and you can share things with is just really important I think because it's it's not something you can just in any way prepare yourself for Mm -hmm. I think I mean you can obviously you can go to the sort of bump classes or whatever it might be the hospital antenatal things and but you know you just have no idea how much your body is going to change your mind is going to change you're going to be suddenly you know before being a mum I was only really you know just about able to look after myself yeah (laughs) like and, and only felt required to ever look after myself even if I was in relationships you know I never felt required to sort of look after the other person whereas the minute you're a mum you know suddenly this little being is completely dependent on you and I don't think that will ever change Mm you know however old they get I think it changed my understanding of my parents as well which is quite interesting I think um and you know it it makes you sort of view that relationship differently and realize you know the things that they've done for you that you didn't realize beforehand so I read that women are often left with a false binary that they're either experiencing postpartum depression or they have an easy transition into motherhood and as I said matrosense encompasses the turmoil and constantly conflicting emotions that you experience as a mother would you say that that's your experience for example you're counting down the minutes to bedtime but then once they've gone you can't wait for them to wake up and kiss their forehead happens to me a lot (laughs) yes definitely I think you know I I have that experience a lot I 
did have some low-level postnatal depression when I had both my children actually um and I think in the first the first one I just because I was lucky I suppose that it was relatively low level I didn't actually recognize it at the time on the plus side I think when it happened again with the second I did recognize it so I was able to get some help with it um but I think you know through that is a hugely confusing time because you're sort of living through these quite kind of dark emotions and yet you also know at the same time you totally love this little baby so completely you know you wouldn't want it any other way but you've sort of got these very conflicting feelings um but even beyond that beyond any sort of illness or condition you know even now I feel kind of um you know I'll have times when I resent putting down the paintbrush to run on the school run or I sort of still have my nine-year-old sometimes climbing into bed with us and sort of you know in the middle of the night I'll find a foot in my face (laughs) and I'll be really (laughs) I need a good night's sleep now you know but then I'll wake up in the morning and have you know be being hugged by this just gorgeous little person who's you know giving me such unconditional love and Mm. I'll feel that I am the luckiest person in the world and so I think you get these huge sort of highs and lows of emotion and you know that you wouldn't want it any other way but it's definitely there are these sort of strong binaries and actually for me I think in a way that's great in the work as well because I've always been interested in binaries anyway so I think those kind of those conflicts and things feed back into my work but yeah it's funny that now I really also as you go through motherhood I think you look back on certain times and you really miss them you know there was a time when I can bear the kind of why this why that stage and be like oh I just you know I've told you why 50 times don't (laughs) ask me why again and now I sort of you know we're beyond that my kids are a bit older now and I see other mums with their little wires going past and uh and I think oh when did that stop (laughs) you know I love that stage (laughs) so yeah and you never you never know when something is going to stop as well so I try my best not to wish it away because I know that I will miss it when it's gone I know that you know I don't know when was the last time I played peekaboo I have no idea but you know of course yeah with a 12 and 9 year old I'm not playing it anymore so I kind of yeah I try my best to recognize that I shouldn't ever wish away the time and that I don't want to but it's hard sometimes for sure yeah um I always remember when my little one was very very young I mean he's only one so it wasn't really that long ago but people are like don't wish the time away it goes so fast and you just think I hope this moment goes really fast because I'm not sleeping everything hurts (laughs) yeah exactly it's great for you to say on your eight hours with your kind of you with your top on that doesn't have baby sick over it that's exactly <laughs> it yes I'm sure that all of those people are very well-meaning but I just you know at the time I was just like there's certain things that I just 
really didn't you know moments that I was reading like when they're waking up every couple of hours for feeding it's difficult you feel like you're the only person yeah. in the universe that's awake just constantly with a little baby and um there's moments where you think oh this is really lovely and I hope that you don't ever grow out of this very cute lovely thing but then at the same time there's loads of moments where you're just like come on let's get on to the next stage <laughs> yeah, eight hours sleep come on I know I used to long for the sleep I remember Mm. I used to sort of slightly obsessively count sleep because I really struggle with sleep deprivation and I think that was one of the things I found really hard at the beginning and I used to sort of be like right I've had two hours you know put the baby down and be I I, literally this sounds completely bonkers but Mm -hmm. I would kind of set my timer on my clock and then I wake up and be like oh that's another hour and I would desperately (laughs) try and over a day count up to trying to cobble together somehow six hours of sleep and tell myself that that was okay but yeah I remember just thinking I long for a stretch of five hours sleep if anyone could give me yeah. anything just give me five hours sleep yeah, <laughs> yeah you know that's what you really need when you have a baby just people coming over and just being like I'll look after the baby you go sleep and I'll tidy yeah. the house for you and and cook you a meal (laughs) that's all you need (laughs) exactly it's not much (laughs) no no but yeah there's definitely like I guess that's one of the conflicting things isn't it like not wishing your time away but then also wishing time away (laughs) yeah totally and it's yeah it's just it is hard it's hard because Mm. you think even if you were to do it again you'd have exactly the same challenge and you're sort of you know yeah I just think you know if you could do it all having kind of eight hours sleep a night and sort of yeah then probably be absolutely wonderful and it'd be exactly the thing that I thought it was going to be to begin with right yeah (laughs) yeah and that's the other thing like you know you kind of do like mourn your old life you don't you know regret having children but at the same time there's like there's a certain part of you that like grieves for the person that you used to be like you know able to be more spontaneous and stay out late and you know be able to don't know have a have a day where you're hung over in bed eating crisps and watching movies you know like there's there's a part of you that kind of mourns that more carefree easygoing life that you used to have before you took on this massive responsibility and you know that's a beautiful thing but at the same time you just can't be that same person you have to change especially as a mum because everything almost falls on you to do I think it's so true yeah and often I think those are the kind of little changes that you haven't that come of as the shock because you haven't Mm. necessarily sort of thought them through beforehand you know you might have sort of worked out you know how you're going to have this baby or you've got all your kit together you know you know but yeah you don't realize that you know your whole old you is just gonna vanish yeah. <laughs> in the sort of yeah and the funny thing is I have admittedly I have some friends who sort of seem to just somehow float on through with a baby strapped to their hip and it didn't seem to change anything but I have no idea how they did that <laughs> whether, whether that was a front or not but um yeah. I remember when I had my first one that um I was a bit ahead of a lot of my very good friends and they were like oh come on why aren't you coming out you know just bring the baby or you know don't babies sleep all the time and 
and lots of them have apologized since (laughs) since they've had babies because they're just like you know they just didn't get it and I was just living through this sort of fog of of kind of PND and you know it was enough frankly to get any clothes on let alone get out of the house yeah yeah um but yeah you definitely I think do mourn your old life a little bit but now I can't even imagine what that you know it's children are like perfect Stockholm syndrome aren't they (laughs) you you adore your little mini oppressors (laughs) and you can't imagine what life was like before them so Um, so your works explore the notion of embodiment and disembodiment and the painterly surface is a combination of done and undone these are real tangible moments that you're sharing with us, but with a surrealism of a visual of the emotion, tangled limbs with everyday stuff, juggling and desperately trying to stay in control, all with a good dose of humour. How do you balance the emotiveness of the work alongside your humour? Um, I think you've got to laugh at life, <laughs> because if you don't, you're just going to cry and not stop crying. So... I think, you know, the humour just comes from probably trying to find life quite funny. Um, And I think a lot of the, if you start thinking about the routine of life and certainly life as a mother, as we've been talking about, I think, um, you know, you can't help but make yourself chuckle a bit at the absurdity of it. So I think just sort of highlighting slightly how absurd life can be um you know I kind of let the work make me smile a bit and then hopefully it smiles a bit but I I don't try and force the humor and I don't think um I don't think every piece is humorous and some are a bit sentimental and some are probably a bit nostalgic so it's not like I'm sort of trying to kind of shovel a joke in there or whatever but I think it's just the sort of the fact that life just is funny (laughs) I think we are funny beings you know the little the little habits that we have the things that we do the routines um and I think being kind of honest about those and trying to just trying to really relay what those are can be quite funny um I remember actually uh hearing Paula or not hearing but reading um Paula Rago saying that she really enjoyed doing horrible things to horrible people in her paintings and I thought that was just brilliant and you know I'm lucky enough that clearly I don't have to do horrible things to horrible people and I don't have haven't seen probably some of the horrors that she's seen and sort of you know I'm lucky enough that the the work isn't so dark but I sort of enjoy doing the kind of things that you can do in your mind in a painting and that is the brilliance of painting you know the the weird thing is in a sense painting is like this other world that's more kind of physical than ours so if you think in our world all the imagination or the flexibility of life is in your mind you have this incredible thing your mind can do anything go anywhere be anything but your body is physically grounded and quite a sort of 
I don't know, stiff, static way, not static, but, you know, we, we are quite sort of contained by what we can do with our bodies, but our minds can do so much. And painting's kind of the opposite. Like painting has no mind, but the paint can do anything. The paint, painted bodies can do whatever they want to be do. So it's like the exact opposite. It's like this sort of world where, you know, the, uh, the entire opposite thing can happen but you can you can do the the mindy things and the paint and the I don't know if this is making <laughs> any sense whatsoever it does. But, you know I enjoy that concept that yeah, I suppose I love that the concept. body yeah the body is sort of in a flexible being because I think I also I do think a lot about as you say you put it I think embodiment and disembodiment I think a lot about that because the body is this vessel that we have an inner and outer of you have the bit that that is sort of projected upon by other people you have whatever you are representing to the world and your skin and your clothes and the way you move and the way you speak and then you have this inner life and you, the way you feel about your body the way your body moves from the inside versus the outside and I think I try my best and I don't know if I achieve, but I try to sort of in painting, think through those ideas. What is the difference between the, the flexibility in the body and the non-flexibility? What's the difference between the thing that you look at and the thing that you feel from the inside or all of those sort of ideas? So yeah, when it comes to surface, it's often also thinking about those sorts of feelings, like how can paint represent something in a different way or, or the way that you um, paint something can represent differences. Actually, I was having a really interesting conversation with someone the other night about um, the fact that painters who paint from memory often have this sort of very loose kind of liquid application it's like and and we now kind of see these paintings that have these sort of figures which are a bit slippery a bit often slightly vague quite liquid and loose we kind of read that as something created by a memory or or a dream or you know something felt and I was sort of thinking well is is that forced is that therefore kind of you know is that somehow fake um but then this other painter was saying no because the reality is if you paint something entirely from a memory with no other visual sort of source material it is really slippery it's really hard to get at that thing and therefore um you know it comes out as that sort of vaguer looser kind of image so in a sense that's the paint representing the thing that you're doing it's not something that I think I've mastered yet <laughs> in any way right. <laughs> um, and I don't paint much from memory but uh but yeah and so because you're using these source images do you think that that's the opposite of your paint application is more kind of defined because you have this source material that you're working from and would you want to be more slippery yeah, well, I think it's interesting. I think what happens is that although I have the source material and I make the collages, I think often the paintings don't end up being exact replicas of the collage right. in any way. They kind of, that becomes a source and a sort of source of information for them, but they are not sort of totally 
a version of that collage. And therefore, I think the bits where you are kind of using that as a really direct sort of representation, because there will be kind of areas, then yes, I think it has that lack of slipperiness. But then I'll kind of get taken over slightly by the painting itself at certain points. And then you do just sort of get lost in, in the act of painting and you get lost in your mind. And so stuff happens then that is more slippery and is, is sort of, uh, you know, and the nice thing is, I suppose that is the, the version of your body just getting lost in, in doing something and performing bodiness, if you like. Mm. So, um, so I think the paintings have those sort of areas where things happen that I didn't expect. And, you know, if you asked me to do it again, I'd be like, well, I don't know how I did it in the first place. So I <laughs> can't redo that thing, you know, yeah. it just sort of happens. So you just graduated from Terps, the alternative learning school run by artists. Could you tell me about your experience and how it informed your practice? Um, Terps is completely amazing. I feel like I embarrass them saying that, but um, but honestly, <laughs> I couldn't praise them enough as an art school. I think, I think as an art school, art learning platform or whatever it's it's called now, um, it's really unique because because it's set up and run by artists. But although there are others like that. But because I think it has this quite sort of magical formula of being a place that's really serious and critically engaged and passionate, um, but also most importantly, really supportive um, and really confidence building. And so basically pretty much, I think every artist who goes through TERPS comes out thriving, you know, buzzing with the sort of the confidence they give you. Um, they just have incredible mentors who are very, very well-respective artists, um, huge amounts of experience um, in both normally sort of their art practice and teaching. So you really, and you have these amazingly long sessions where um, I was on the off-site program. So I'm working from my own studio at home and a mentor will come to my studio and spend you know, two, three hours just talking about your work, wow. which is incredible because yeah. you just, you go through everything, you know, and you're talking about your work, you're talking about your ideas of understanding painting, you're talking about history of art, your technique, any sort of version of anything that you need to get to grips of, you talk through. Um, and they have these you know it's a great network of people who go there and um great artist talks actually really interestingly the talks that artists come and give at terps as well are very different to the sort of you know if you sign up to go and listen to a talk at the tate or at the ra or something you will hear such a different type of talk to the oh, talk really? that an artist comes and gives at terps yeah mm. which is really fascinating um but yeah, that, so they're great and they're so flexible. I mean, I love the, uh, the other side of it is that they've really thought through the fact that there's not sort of one box for everyone. Like often if you go through a sort of university system, you know, you have to contort yourself into the box. You have to tick all the boxes and, you know, do the syllabus. And whereas TERPS is very much, 
it's about you as an artist wanting to do what you need to do and get out what you need to get get out not them telling you um what boxes you have to tick or Mm. or what sort of outcomes you have to reach and in that way they've also structured their courses like that so they've got a sort of very intense version which is their on-site studio program and then they've got people like me being mums or people who are working the off-site program which is a bit less intense and then they've got the correspondence for people who aren't London-based or sort of so you know they've just they're just really responsive and I think passionate about what they do and then that makes everyone who goes there passionate about it as well so Yeah. yeah it's great. That is great. I didn't realise that they had a um, an out of London course as well. Did you, did you say it was called Correspondence? Correspondence. So it's Amazing. not, it's by out of London. It's not literally based out of London. It's mm. online effectively. Yeah. So, but someone described Amazing. it, someone I know who's been on it said it's like getting love letters, which <laughs> is such a lovely thing to That's say. So nice. Because the mentors write, so you upload your work onto the system, I think, um, yeah. to be kind of discussed and, and engaged with. And the mentors write sort of 2000 or something words wow. about your work wow. for you. So, which is just amazing, really. So they yeah. said, yeah, it's like getting these love letters, <laughs> <laughs> which is lovely. It really um, is. Wow. I love how flexible they are as well. You know, it's, there's not many uh, schools that are that flexible in thinking that people, you know, might not want to go into studios and might not be able to go into studios and to have that, the tutors come to you. How incredible is that, that they you know, will travel <laughs> to support you and to support your art um, and to be a mentor. Like, yeah, that's refreshing. I think it is really amazing and really unusual, actually. So, yeah. Um, so you created the piece, You Scrub Up Well, especially for our upcoming exhibition, Matrescence. Can you tell me about this painting? Yes. So, um yeah you scrub up well well it's kind of a sister painting I should call it so I I created painting last year called kitchen sink drama and at the time I was thinking a lot about the kitchen well I still am actually but anyway I'm thinking about the kitchen the kitchen sink and this sort of sense of of what that is as a space and this idea that the kitchen is traditionally considered the sort of heart of the home and this female domain and that has positive elements to it but then it also has these sort of darker sides like this you know that kind of added chain to the kitchen sink and that kind of thing and the kitchen sink dramas that were considered to be very low art and sort of about everyday life and that was considered to be a kind of low thing so I made this painting which was really piling a woman's figure into the kitchen sink, almost like a still life. And she was quite kind of monochrome in her figure and the objects of the sink, the kind of rubber gloves and the dishes and things were all piled there with her. Um, And at the time, having made it, I thought I haven't finished this idea in my head. You know, I really want to make more of these. I haven't really sort of worked out everything that I'm thinking about the kitchen sink as a space yet so when you visited and you really 
enjoyed that painting. It seemed like a great opportunity to make another painting as a sort of series, I suppose. Um, and I loved the title of your show. So I made this painting, You Scrub Up Well, which I suppose I used the other painting almost like a starting point. So it's sort of, again, there's a figure of a woman in the kitchen sink. But what's strange about it is I had the other painting, Kitchen Sink Drama, sitting in my mind. But I think I had your show title sitting in my mind at the same time. Mm. And without really realising it, I think I've made a painting that feels like it's about motherhood and about birth somehow in the kitchen sink this is slightly hard to explain but uh <laughs> it's also it's such a new painting to me that I find it quite hard to step back and and work out what's actually happening in it because things yeah. happen as I said that you don't totally expect so one example is that someone came to the house the other day and they saw this painting is hanging in my kitchen at the moment although it's coming to you very very soon I'm glad to hear it <laughs> um and someone saw it and asked my son what he thought of it and he said he liked it and they said why do you like it and he said well I like the fact that the coffee pours out of the mug and becomes the leg and I hadn't even noticed that I hadn't really <laughs> noticed that I painted the sort of because I'm often the the body parts of the woman and the sort of objects that I'm kind of engaging with are sort of slightly morphing in and out of each other and referencing each other I hadn't really noticed that the coffee actually becomes the leg hmm. but then when I heard him say that I was like oh that's so great because in a way I always think that coffee becomes my legs in the morning <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that's it's very like I true. spend the whole morning kind of caffeinating up and yeah. most of the afternoon decaffeinating so um <laughs> so yeah I think there's sort of this play in it between yeah. objects becoming parts of the women and the women becoming objects and I think some of that is about the play of what it is to become a mother and and sort of change you know your body in this way and change your identity as we've spoken about mm. um but also, yeah, I enjoyed the title you scrub up well, because I think as you'll see in the painting, it's got a very clear kind of scrubbing brush in it. So it's obviously just referencing the activity in the painting, but it also gave me a little chuckle because it's kind of, it was sort of like the dodgy chat up line that would get you into this situation in the beginning. So <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, uh, yeah, somehow I felt you scrub up well worked for the painting, this sort of thing that is like some kind of birthing in the kitchen sink, but isn't. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, what do you enjoy the most about your practice? I think I enjoy when it surprises me. So I, I love playing around with these ideas. I love, um, you know, I love just having ideas in my head and, and having the freedom to make them into pieces of art. Um, I shouldn't say that with a sort of capital A, more to, to make art about these ideas. Um, and I love that. I love experimenting and playing with things. I love drawing um, and painting as well. So, 
yeah, I enjoy all that freedom. And then I really enjoy work going out into the world and going into other people's spaces. It's always so amazing to me when people who've bought work sort of get in touch with me, they send me photos of it hanging on walls or they sort of say they've seen it. And it's it's just quite incredible to think that this thing that has sat inside of you has got its own other life elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I find that really amazing and exciting and wonderful and a reason to keep making work as well. So what do you find the most frustrating about your practice? Um, well, other than kind of, yeah, when on the days when painting's not going well and you just want to, I don't know, take a knife to it in a Fontana kind of way, <laughs> um, which we always have. Um, I think in a, as a general rule, I don't know, I suppose time and space can be frustrating. So the sort of the, the sense that, you've never got enough time to make things and you've never got the space that you'd love to have to make them in. Um, but then it's interesting, you know, I, I spend a lot of time railing about sort of having to stop for the school run or not being able to do things because it's school holidays or whatever. But then actually I realised that the enforced stoppages actually are quite good because you know you never stop thinking in the background you're always sort of making work in your mind so in fact sometimes being forced to put your paintbrush down is probably quite a good thing um space is an interesting one I had quite a funny thing recently because I've got a um I'm making a piece of work for a show later in November um and it's site specific to that space. So I went and I measured that space and I kind of, um, it's a triptych. So I've made three canvases to fit that space exactly. And, you know, went, took them to the space, checked they fit, felt very pleased with myself that I managed to measure it all well and it all fits. Got it back to my studio and realized it doesn't fit in my studio. <laughs> and I can't, I couldn't fit these three oh, no. canvases on the wall in the studio. <laughs> and I can't even fit them on the floor properly. And I definitely can't fit them on the floor and work around. So I've been making this painting outside even though it's autumn or in the kitchen to the complete fury of my family or like sort of, you know, it's been kind of moving everywhere. And so that's been really frustrating, but I'm just annoyed with how stupid I was. <laughs> I didn't think about my own restrictions rather than the restriction of the space this work was going into. Um, but in a weird way, sometimes again, like with the time thing, when you have those kind of restrictions, it can actually be quite good for the work because it challenges you and it sort of it makes you work around it and it makes you think harder about it and you know it's not always a bad thing. Yeah and pushes you outside of your comfort zone like literally your studio is your comfort zone you're used to making a certain size work and now you're working even bigger than your studio will allow so you're having to paint fresco. yeah I mean it's the first time that I suddenly realized I can't reach the top of this painting and oh, I've never wow. actually done a painting where I can't reach the top unless I cut all you know so uh so yeah it was quite a good yeah it's definitely out of the comfort zone hopefully yeah. it's not quite finished yet so uh, it's uh I look anyway. forward to seeing it 
hopefully hopefully it will be all right (laughs) (laughs) okay well Catherine Lett uh, thank you so much for joining me today on the Liminal Gallery podcast it's been such a pleasure talking to you thank you so much I really loved it thank you thank you Catherine Lett's work will be part of the group exhibition Matricense which is the second show in Liminal Gallery's new home at 34 Fort Hill in Margate The exhibition opens on the 5th of November from 5 until 8 and all are welcome to join us. The exhibition continues until the 27th of November and we're open Thursdays 11 till 4 and Saturdays 11 till 3 and outside of these times by appointment. More information can be found on our website liminal-gallery.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Liminal Gallery podcast with me Louise Fitzjohn. And I hope you'll join me for the next episode featuring Sarah Maple, who will also be a part of the Matricense exhibition. Bye for now.